0: worship an awesome God in the blue states. The the president's uh, problem is that he was born a Muslim. Not God bless America, God damn America! My Christian faith then has been a sustaining force for me over these last few years. Marriage itself is now being redefined and at a very incredible velocity. President Obama made it very clear that he wanted to be the abortion president. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Welcome to the history of evangelicals and politics, the Obama era. This is episode 29, The Rise of Barack Obama. I'm John Fabia. During the last 20 episodes or so, we have been roughly working our way through the first half of the year 2004, paying close attention to the way evangelical Christians engaged in American political life. It is now time to return to electoral politics. During the next several episodes, this podcast will focus on the months leading up to the November 2004 election. We have episodes planned on the presidential race between George W. Bush and John Kerry, key congressional races in which evangelicals played an important role, and state referendums on same-sex marriage. We begin in late July, July 26th through 29th to be exact. With the Democratic National Convention in Boston. As might be expected, the Democratic Party platform, which was titled Strong at Home, Respected in the World, was a largely secular document. At 43 pages, it focused heavily on the war in Iraq, military spending, energy policy, the environment, homeland security in the wake of the September 11th attacks, tax cuts for the middle class and health On issues that evangelical Christians might care about, the platform affirmed Roe v. Wade, but also drew from language made popular during the Bill Clinton administration, calling for abortions to be safe, rare, and legal. The document did not define marriage as a union between a man and a woman. Rather, it rejected the Bush administration's support of a federal amendment to the Constitution It claimed that marriage should be defined by the states and supported the full inclusion of gay and lesbian families in the life of our nation with all the responsibilities, benefits, and protections afforded to non-gay and lesbian families. The next to last paragraph of the document also made a gesture to religious faith using these words. We honor the central place of faith in the lives of our people. Like our founders, we believe that our nation, our community, and our lives are made vastly stronger and richer by faith, and the countless acts of justice and mercy it inspires. We will strengthen the role of faith-based organizations in meeting challenges like homelessness, youth violence, and other social problems. At the same time, the document went on, we will honor First Amendment protections and not allow public funds to be used to proselytize or discriminate. Throughout history, communities of faith have brought comfort to the afflicted and shaped great movements for justice. We know they will continue to do so and we will always protect all Americans' freedom to worship. The lineup of speakers, as is often the case at political conventions, was a who's who of Democratic Party politics past and present. It included Jimmy Carter, Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton, Al Gore, Joe Biden, and Joe Lieberman. And of course, vice presidential nominee, John Edwards and presidential nominee, John Kerry. The only major evening speaker whose speech focused on the links between faith and the democratic agenda was Reverend James Forbes, the pastor of New York City's Riverside Church and the historic congregation's first African-American leader. Forbes started his Tuesday evening speech by noting that he was at the convention to represent progressive and interfaith religious leaders intent upon calling America back to our true self. It was a speech that very few African-American pastors would deliver today, 2021, since it assumed that there was indeed a true America that Blacks wanted to return to. But this, 2004, was a different time. Forbes said that his efforts at American restoration were rooted in sacred scripture and America's founding documents. He added, we seek to restore the moral, spiritual, and democratic values upon which our nation was built. Forbes was 68 years old and his words invoked some of the fundamental ideas that drove the civil rights movement of his youth. He represented the Democratic Party's position on race relations before the rise of critical race theory or the 1619 Project. Although nothing he said was incompatible with these more recent ways of talking about race and American history. Forbes stressed the role of faith in the struggle to end slavery, the civil rights movement and the promotion of peace. As a preacher rooted in the black church, Forbes also appealed to the Old Testament prophets. Like Isaiah, Amos, and other prophets who called nations back to their true selves, he proclaimed, we propose a set of prophetic justice principles. These principles called on men and women to seek the common good, be truthful in facts and motives, promote unity and inclusion, demand justice and care for the vulnerable and the poor, appeal to their higher natures, not their greed and their fear, disdain the arrogance of power, cherish democratic freedoms, respect the human family and the community of nations, ensure stewardship of the earth as God's creation, and provide moral leadership. He added, in these challenging times, we cry out to our nation, wake up America. Indeed, it was time for a healing of divisions. Forbes' call for national unity continued. We must unite to save our nation. Our beloved America has not been herself lately. Forbes asked his listeners to remember the sense of unity the country experienced after the September 11th, 2001 attacks and how such unity had been undermined by what he called a historic failure of moral leadership. Referencing Jesus's parable of the prodigal son, Forbes called the nation back to come back home to health and wholeness. His speech ended with a recitation of the first verse of America the Beautiful, with its call for God to shed his grace on thee and crown thy good with brotherhood from seas to shining seas. But he also called attention to the song's second stanza, America, America, God mend thy every flaw. Forbes' speech was the perfect setup for the evening's keynote speaker, Barack Obama, the Illinois state legislator who was running for the United States Senate. When we last met Obama in this podcast, he was sitting in Jeremiah Wright's Trinity United Church of Christ in the late 1980s. His eyes filled with tears as he made a decision to embrace the Christian faith. Shortly thereafter, he would leave his work as a community organizer to attend Harvard Law School. But before he headed to Cambridge, Massachusetts, he spent the summer of 1988 in Kenya, where he met his late father's family for the first time, an experience chronicled in his 1995 memoir, Dreams from My Father a story of race and inheritance. At Harvard, Obama was elected the first black president of the Harvard Law Review, which led to the advance contract for dreams from my father and later an appointment at the University of Chicago Law School where he was given the time and space to complete the manuscript. During his summer breaks from classes at Harvard, he returned to Chicago, where he worked as an associate at two different law firms one of which is where he met Michelle Robinson, his future wife. Upon graduation from Harvard Law in 1991, Obama began his 12-year career teaching at the University of Chicago, where he would also engage the larger city through voter registration campaigns, work as a civil rights litigation attorney, and serving on the boards of several nonprofit organizations devoted to urban development. In 1996, Obama was elected to the Illinois State Senate, where he would serve until his U.S. Senate run in 2004. In 2000, he was roundly defeated in a run for veteran Chicago politician Bobby Rush's first congressional district seat in the House of Representatives. It was the last election he would ever lose. During his years in Chicago, Obama developed a reputation as an idealist, but one who always tried to bridge his idealism to the world of practical politics that he knew so well from his years as a community organizer. In a long profile at the Chicago Reader, Obama described his political sensibility by comparing himself to the politicians of the Christian right. He wrote, What if a politician were to see his job as that of an organizer, as part teacher and part advocate, one who does not sell voters short, but who educates them about the real choices before them. The right wing, the Christian right, has done a good job of building these organizations of accountability, much better than the left or progressive forces have. But it's always easier to organize around intolerance, narrow-mindedness, and false nostalgia. And they have hijacked the higher moral ground with this language of family values and moral responsibility. Now we have to take the same language, the same values that are encouraged within our families, of looking out for one another, of sharing, of sacrificing for each other, and apply them to a larger society. As Obama biographer, David Remnick put it, Obama seemed to promise a new kind of politics, or at least a marriage of conventional liberal policy positions to a temperament that relied on reconciliation rather than on grievance. Obama announced his candidacy for the United States Senate in January, 2003. Two months later, he was addressing an anti-war rally in Chicago and openly using his candidacy to oppose the Iraq war. When Illinois Democratic Senator Carol Mosley Braun announced that she would run for president in 2004, the race for her Senate seat was underway. Obama won the Democratic primary in a landslide, defeating seven other major candidates with 52% of the vote. A few days after his primary victory, Obama sat down at a Michigan Avenue coffee shop with Kathleen Falsani, the religion reporter at the Chicago Sun-Times. For over an hour, Falsani peppered Obama with questions about his Christian faith. And Obama, for the most part, answered them with honesty and sincerity. He talked about his work as a community organizer and his born-again experience at Jeremiah Wright's Trinity United Church of Christ, all part of his religious journey that we chronicled in the earliest episodes of this podcast. Obama said that he was suspicious of religious dogma and denied the idea that his Christian faith was automatically transferable to others. He added that he was a big believer in tolerance and thought that religion is at its best when it comes with a big dose of doubt. Obama believed that doubt was essential to any religious life because, as he put it, I think people are limited in their understanding, and there is an enormous amount of damage done around the world in the name of religion and certainty. Obama told Falsani about his prayer life. He was not one for getting on my knees, but he kept regular communication with God, an ongoing conversation, he called it, throughout the course of the day. Prayer allowed him to empathize with other points of view and keep a moral compass. Obama said that Jesus was not only a historical figure and a wonderful teacher, but he was a bridge between God and man. He went as far to say that he had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. In addition to his love for Jesus, Obama told Falsani that he was a regular reader of the Bible and often meditated on scripture verses to help center him and give him spiritual strength. He admitted that he had not read the sacred text as often as he would have liked in the midst of the Senate campaign, but it was certainly a practice he had hoped to return to very soon. Obama also affirmed his belief in American civil religion. I'm a big believer in the separation of church and state, he told Falsani, and a big believer in our constitutional structure. Though he rejected the idea that religious certainty should express itself in politics, he still believed that values have to inform our public policy. Obama practiced what he might call a politics of human dignity. Dogma did not belong in the public square. But this did not mean that a politician could not appeal to the Judeo-Christian idea of human dignity to advance policy that affirmed the belief that we are all connected. As he put it, I am my brother's keeper, I am my sister's keeper, and we are all children of God. He criticized his fellow Democrats for shying away from a conversation about values for fear that they sacrifice the important value of tolerance. It was a brilliant interview, and falsani was not done yet. When Obama said that there was a belief in certain quarters that people who haven't embraced Jesus as their personal savior are going to hell, falsani asked, and you don't believe that? Obama's response made it clear that despite his use of the phrase born again to describe his conversion, his endorsement of certain kinds of spiritual disciplines, and his claim that he had a personal relationship with Jesus. He was no conservative evangelical. I find it hard to believe, he said, that my God would consign four-fifths of the world to hell. I can't imagine that my God would allow some little Hindu kid in India who never interacts with the Christian faith to somehow burn for all eternity. That's just not part of my religious makeup. Now, Four months after the Falsani interview, Obama would get a chance to show the world how he fused his personal religious faith, his belief in civil religion, and his vision for America in a speech that would change his life and the life of the nation. Stay tuned. The History of Evangelicals and Politics is produced by Casey Lehman. It is a podcast for patrons of Current, an online platform that includes daily commentary, reflection, and judgment from diverse and talented writers representing positions across the political spectrum. Current also hosts The Way of Improvement Leads Home, a blog dedicated to reflections on American history, politics, religion, and academic life. This podcast is made possible by our patrons. Please consider supporting us by heading over to currentpub.com. That's C-U-R-R-E-N-T-P-U-B dot com and click the red support button.